1: C. diff spores and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at cloroxhealthcare.com. Welcome to C-Diff Spores and More with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C-Diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala Hi,
2: good afternoon. Welcome and thank you for joining us today on C-Diff Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network. We would like to thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Today, we welcome our guest from Tamont Clinic UK, Glenn Taylor, Head Microbiologist, here to discuss with us the Tamont Clinic Pioneering Fecal Microbiota Transplant, FMT, for digestive problems. At this time, I would like to introduce our guest, Glenn Taylor, from the Tamont Clinic. And thank you, Glenn, for joining us today. It's a pleasure to speak with you again to discuss this important topic.
3: Nancy, hello. Thank you for inviting me back. I enjoyed myself last time. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be able to be here to talk to you.
2: Oh, well, we really appreciate you being here. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And I'm going to jump right in and ask you our first question, and that's, um, how are the outcomes going for Clostridium difficile over at the TAMON clinic?
3: <laughs> They're going exceptionally well, um, better than I had ever hoped uh, I've been following other clinics, and um, I can see that treatment with FMT, fecal microbiota transplant for Clostridium seal, has been going well. I, I, I changed things slightly. We are enjoying, you know, touch every piece of wood I can possibly find around me. We are actually enjoying just about 100% at the moment, um, and that's without, without any uh, return. So we're feeling quite pleased with ourselves.
2: That's amazing. We're so happy for all of you there. And you have an impeccable clinic over in the UK that I was able to visit a few years back. And we really appreciate everything you're doing to help the patients uh, suffering with this infection.
3: It's, um, <laughs> it, it has been such a difficult thing for so long, bearing in mind that it's life-threatening. Um the world knows that fmt is the uh, is becoming the number one solution and um, we've been investigating the work we're doing trying to understand the methodologies and looking for improvements we will be issuing uh, some papers shortly our own studies so that other clinics around the world can see what we've done and and can try our methods to see if it improves their outcomes
2: that's fantastic. And Glenn, um, what you were saying before about your outcomes for the Clostridium difficile um, at the Taymont Clinic, uh, is there anything you can specifically attribute to that and, and how it's going
3: there? If I could sum it up in one word, it would be perseverance. You see, when, when we saw that we were getting good results by, by a, a single implant, And the the next question to be asked is, well, where do we go from here? So by doing a second implant, we got much better remission figures. Now, I'm I'm very aware that all around the world, many physicians stop at that point feeling very, very pleased with themselves that they've done that well. But for me, it was, well, what would happen if we did it again? Because we started off in the 70s and then the 80%. And we thought if we get one more implant, will that change the outcomes? I mean, it's not doing any harm, so will it change the outcomes? And then we got 90%, and then thought, well, this is just beyond belief. Logic tells us, for goodness sakes, just go one more, keep going until you get 100%. So four, and then five, and after five implants, bang, 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 every single one got full remission. We thought, Okay, well, we seem to have found the right number. Uh, It's just perseverance. Keep going, and your remission rates improve. It's (laughs) not rocket science, really, is it? It isn't, but
2: it really works for you, and, and you have found exactly what it takes to help these patients get better. And Glenn, medicine still insists on antibiotics. At the first course of action for any C-dipacil infection, despite a remission of only 20% for medications like vancomycin and metronutazole, and if FMT is experiencing 80-plus percent. What are your thoughts about that?
3: Well, Jim, you actually have to look at those figures when you see them on, on paper. Um. You know, m- most people by now are aware of the famous trials in in Holland, in Europe, where it was a a correctly uh, assembled, randomized trial, um, double-blind, placebo-controlled, in all the right fashions you will be the drug. And you had 50% of the patients treated with their own stool quietly treated with their own stool, and the other fifty percent with clear donor stool and when they started to get sort of eighty percent plus in the cohort that was receiving good donor stool and quite clearly the the other fifty percent cohort receiving their own as a double blind was uh, was not getting anywhere and they had to sit down and, and consult with their own ethics committee and ask, should we continue with this trial faced with figures like this? it decided to abandon the trial and immediately give all the other cohort the first cohort's treatment protocol, and you know, got the same result as, as cohort one. You know, you've got 80% plus remission rates. It's... Faced with those kind of figures, I'm not quite understanding the logic employed by the regulatory authorities when they say you must try chemicals first and you keep throwing expensive chemicals that take a long time to get a form of resolution and the patients keep having to come back to hospital and getting sick again and all the costs that go with it, when there's a solution staring you in the face. Now, in the United Kingdom, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence, one of our regulatory bodies, has actually gone into print saying, it is FMT, the the fecal transplant, as you call it in the States. It is the best treatment for clostridium difficile that has yet been devised. So the question is, Given that, why would you use any other methodology? What, 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 what's going on? It's just not making sense.
2: Yeah, I, I understand that. And, yep, some patients actually prefer to try the antibiotics before going for the FMT route.
3: Well, it's kind of got this bit of a stigma to it, you know, from where it comes from. So I can, I can get that. Um, I have to say that every single one of the patients has come through the TAMAR team doesn't quite feel that way. They're rather they've switched off from from the sensitivities and they're going I want the bugs. <laughs> I want the bacteria. I know what's going to work and I want the bacteria. The idea that oh I'd rather stick to the pills, thank you I just, to me is broadly nonsensical.
2: Exactly. Glenn, as antibiotics are reported to be impl- implicated at the very center of C. difficile infections, does your medical staff prescribe them prior to an FMT treatment starting?
3: Well, we, in the early days, we agonized over this. We looked at what was being done. And I understand why other doctors have just tried that one more time, see what we can do. Do we have to reduce the numbers? Is it best to hit the patient with antibiotics? Well, we thought this through and we came out the other end thinking it was actually the antibiotics, the action of antibiotics in being used possibly to save the patient's life let's not take the glory away from antibiotics they're critically important life-saving drugs that have saved millions of people throughout the world. No question of that but their action that they employ dependent upon the class of antibiotic used also works on non-pathogenic bacteria. So you're good guys living in your gut. The ones that we have grown up with and help us with so many things, including our immune system, not just digestion and what goes on there, but our immune system, our neurological system, all the things we start to discover now. All these, all these bugs that help us through our life are also susceptible to antibiotics, and they die, and it's the absence of critical species of antibiotics uh, of, of, uh, bacteria that permit clostridium to infect that environment. So you kind of say, um, antibiotics are actually the cause, despite being life they're the cause of the problem. Should we use them again? And we went into trials by literally just using the implant of fecal microbiota transplant in implants going in. And, and, We found we didn't need antibiotics at all. So we saved all the other microbiota that live in the body that would be affected by the use of antibiotics, not least of which any of you out there who've been through a long course of heavyweight antibiotics knows how it feels. Some of them can create horrendous side effects. It's on the packet Get the little piece of paper out. Look at the side effects. So, if we can avoid unpleasant side effects and just go straight to displacing clostridium difficile, why would you not just do that? Yes, we did, and we get just as good remission rates by only using the implants as if antibiotics had been used beforehand.
2: Exactly, I understand what you're saying, and I think our listeners also do the same, Glenn, and right at this time, we are going to take a a short commercial break, and when we return, we will continue discussing uh, pioneering fecal microbiota transplant, FMT for digestive problems with Glenn Taylor, head microbiologist for the TAMON Clinic. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back after these messages.
1: The C-Diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C-Diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C-Difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the C-Diff Foundation at 1-844-4-C-Diff. 1-844-367-2343 one 367 2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly you need disinfectants you can trust.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: You are listening to C. diff Spores and More. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala.
2: Welcome back to C-dip spores and more, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. It's a pleasure to reintroduce to you Dr. Oh, doctor uh, Glenn Taylor, head microbiologist to the TAMONT Clinic. Welcome back, Glenn, and we're glad to have you on the show today.
3: Thank you very much. And yes, I'm not a medical doctor, everybody. I'm the microbiologist at the TAMONT Clinic, so uh, I deal with this from a completely different angle.
2: Exactly. But yet, I always want to call you doctor. Isn't that something? Okay, well, look, I appreciate, we all appreciate you being here today and taking time out of your schedule to discuss this important topic and moving right along on uh, what we want to find out from you is maybe you can tell our listeners, Glenn, is the methods of delivery of the fecal microbiota transplant and your views on each of them.
3: Yeah, I mean, when you consider the subject matter, um... It, it's difficult enough for the public to to accept and understand. When you think that there are methods that involve it going down your throat, it's not it's not the topic for a mealtime discussion, is it? Um, the, the object is to try and get the back the active bacteria, these the, these little commensal species of which something between two and, a half and three thousand in a good healthy gut of species just of the different species, into the area that they work. And the majority of that goes on in what's called the large intestine, the colon, the small intestine that we have, that 22-foot-long hosepipe. That's there to do a kind of a chemical process that we we humans, we, we mammals, absorb a lot of the... The nutrient from our food by hitting with little chemicals that we make called enzymes. Then, when we run out of all these enzymes that we make, we hand the remaining food over to bacteria in a bigger tube, like a, like a downpipe from from the a rain gutter. You know, a nice big wide tube, and in there live the bacteria, and that's why they need to be put. Now, the methods employed so far are a. Uh, uh, <laughs> top down or um, uh, from the ground upwards. Now, top down would be either a tube through the the nose or down the throat where an implant is put into the stomach or, or negotiated through a little valve from the stomach into a tube that starts the gut proper, the duodenum, or sorry, you guys call it something different. You call it the duodenum, I think. So anyway, we get it there, and then it has to work its way through the small intestine. Now. The reason why we don't have bacteria living in our small intestine is because we actively discourage them from being there. It's not an appropriate place to grow bugs. So we apply amongst our digestive chemicals, we apply secondary bile acids, the little chemicals that just kind of keep bacteria on the move. They incentivize them not to hang around and to carry on through the gut. They don't get hurt, but it's not pleasant for them and they'd much rather not be there so they carry on through. And and it's not an ideal environment to put all your good bacteria in because we haven't really measured what gets damaged and not. It's assumed that they can all make it through, but it may not be the case. The alternative It's to go straight where it needs to go, and that's through, I I, I don't know, you've got a mealtime coming up, everybody? It's um, in through the rectum. Now, two methods are available there. Most doctors who deal with the gut, gastroenterologists... Are familiar with an instrument that's about oh about as as thick as your thumb as you look at it, and it's a flexible tube with a very high definition video camera on the tip of it, and it's called a colonoscope. Its object being that you can feed it in and steer it around the corners until you are looking at every bit, taking pictures, looking at it on a big screen, um, deciding to take little samples nibble samples out to send them back to the lab to be analyzed. Um, it's a method of physically looking all the way down the gut to see if everything's okay or whether there's disease, injury, uh, or the, the architecture, the structure of it is wrong. Now, it's a, it's a very good piece of equipment. It has a little hollow tube down it, and down that hollow tube, they've been able to squirt the implant. Now, It's highly successful because you can go to exactly the point you want to start and then slowly reverse out, leaving a trail behind you. Now, that works all very well, but it is very invasive. It requires, well, I don't know too many people who haven't been sedated. Uh, Any of you who've had one of these procedures knows that the preparation wasn't pleasant, the sedation wasn't nice, and... Well, a new paper that's just been published, a scientific paper on an investigation into um, colonoscopy and examination along that route, has shown that within seven days of colonoscopic examination, 1.8% of patients present at a hospital. That's a lot of people. Then if you stretch the figure out to 30 days, it's 2.8% of everybody that has a colonoscopic examination ends up in an ER. Now, I thought maybe that's because they were sick people in the first place, but what the trial did was to eliminate anyone with a disease and only choose the numbers from people who were just going for an examination, like just testing. Let's have a little look to see if there's cancer or something like that. So that's 2.8% of people now. There's one more methodology that you can use, and that's a tiny, thin tube, super smooth and skinny and slippery and flexible called, it's a a little catheter. The catheter is about 18 inches long, and it's about a quarter of an inch across, and it, when you lubricate it, it slips and slides its way in, and the patients don't even know it's there. the, The number of times they're, are you sure it's there? Really? It's in? Yeah, yeah, it's in. It's all the way where it needs to be. So it's exceptionally well tolerated. And then with a little bit of contraperistaltic massage, what that means is pushing it the opposite way that the stuff normally moves, we can then redistribute the implant right the way around, the 100% distribution around the colon. Now, we've carried out that procedure 8,000 times so far. And in those 8,000 times, if we applied that 3.8% hospitalization colonoscopy, we would have something in the region of 300 people have gone to hospital. How many have is the big question because they're all out there asking. So so using this very clever system with a a catheter, how many people have been to hospital? Um, None recorded yet. Okay, so you choose. You either go through the nose, the mouth, a colonoscope, or a catheter. And we went for the catheter because it is the the best tolerated. It's just brilliant.
2: That's incredible. And thank you so much for sharing that data with us. And uh, it it just baffles, baffles everybody. Um, Glenn, uh, there was a lot of speculation at this time and discussion in the media about standardized pill or capsule form being equally effective as the current method how will it compare to the present method being utilized at the TAMON clinic?
3: Well, I, I firmly believe that the future of restoring your gut microflora is going to be by a capsule. There's no, no question. Um, the problem we, we're at at this moment in time is that methods being used to actually put the bacteria into a capsule um, it's causing a lot of damage to the, to the bacteria themselves. It's difficult to store. It's very expensive to manufacture. And there's a lot of research going on, in, a, in probably all over the world. Now, um, the ideal would be a capsule that opens at exactly the right point, so it's entero-coated so you put this enteric coating on it and you, you work out by a number of factors when it's ideal to open. So you can design a capsule very easily to do that for, for the dispersal. Then the, the key then is how do we maintain the broadest possible number of species, that's the diversity, and the large number of them, the density, and keep them alive and transport them around reasonably, and, you know, under normal circumstances, give them a a kind of a shelf life. How do we do that? At this moment, that has defeated everybody. But watch this space, because there's a lot of science going into this. And we have... In working on something that we hope we'll be able to deliver at some point in the future when all the safety has been done when all the trials have been completed the object being that we want to be able to provide bacteria in a way that's not just for disease states but to be able to deliver in an easy to consume so a capsule all the gut microflora to use it in a wellness model rather than just a sickness model. So in other words, at any time, you could boost your gut bugs with a capsule that you keep on the shelf in your medicine cabinet, and they will last for months, if not years. So you can just top it. I'm going on, on vacation somewhere. Oh, it's a difficult place. We're going to Bali. Okay take a few capsules, have some before, during, and after to see off any possibility of vacation, tummy, You know, Montezumas and all those things. So there's a wellness model there to be provided for. And our guys are sitting in the lab at the moment putting a methodology out that we hope will fulfill that. And it also means if you can do it you know, with minimal... Storage and distribution costs, it, I hope, will end up bringing the cost of this right the way down to absolutely affordable by anybody. Can you imagine just walking into a drugstore and you're, you think you're getting clostridium difficile because you just had a big round of antibiotic on antibiotic and you're not feeling that well, you know your bugs have been kicked from left, right, and center. You just walk into a drugstore and, yeah, I'll have some of those, and you just top them back up again, back to where you were before. Can you make, Wouldn't that be fantastic?
2: Yes. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. Yes. I think we all are out there also. Everyone's shaking their head Yes. <laughs> Well, Glenn, I thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today and uh, the information about the delivery methods and the standardization of the pills and what's what we have to look forward to uh, in restoring the microflora in, in everyone's gut. Uh, right now, we're going to take and uh, pause and take a break for a commercial break and stay tuned and we will return after these important messages.
1: Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the 4th Annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org.
2: Welcome back to CDIP Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network. We thank you for joining us today. We would also like to welcome back our guest, Glenn Taylor, head microbiologist at the Tamon Clinic, here discussing pioneering fecal microbiota transplant, FMT, for digestive problems. Welcome back, Glenn. Hello, Natty. Glenn, we've heard a lot about your new um, facility that has opened, the Taman Clinic in the Caribbean. Um, if um, and if you wouldn't mind, uh, it's available here in. Well, the FMT is already available here in the U.S., uh, but we wanted to know what purpose does this serve you to have one here in the Caribbean?
3: Okay, um, we were specifically asked to to be able to establish. Uh, a a clinic utilizing the TAME-OUT protocols in the laboratory and the the treatment itself Uh, and to to try and open it up as as, as close to the U.S. mainland as we could. It was uh, decided that 25 minutes by flight from Miami was a reasonably short distance for us to set up in the Bahamas. Now, with the Bahamas comes a challenge in that it's a sensational place to go. Uh, You must have... I I hate going over there just to make sure everything's all right, you know, because it's all that sun and sand and fabulous weather. I just... Yeah, I'm having not to do that because I'm in the lab and in the hospital. But sorry for taking the mickey on that one. No, the, the point is we needed to be able to provide tame-out protocols for American clients who, who wanted to use our methods. So you have to remember that behind all this, uh, despite the fact that n- the majority of the world knows FMT for the incredible work it does with Clostridium, there are other aspects. The bugs themselves also facilitate our uh, our neurology, they, they assist in making our immune system understand what is expected of it. Bacteria are part of our environment because of the, the rate that they replicate. They, they're very reactive to the environment. They learn much faster than we do. So when we reintroduce them into the gut, they've got a lot of environmental knowledge. So when our T cells, our T regulatory cells, are desperate for the latest update on what's going on out in the world, it's bacteria that tell them what the appropriate level of immune responses they should apply. So immune diseases came in, neurological diseases came in, and IBD, inflammatory bowel diseases. Now, in the United States, of course, you guys are uh, restricted by the FDA because it got a little out of hand, and I completely understand the reason behind their restrictions in calling it an investigation a new drug We had the the good fortune in the Bahamas to be talking to the Bahamian government and the the Prime Minister's office over there. And they'd all heard about the treatment and they were quite excited to to watch it develop. So we got a license. We have one year at a time that renews. And under medical circumstances, with oversight by gastroenterologists, neurologists, and recently a pediatrician for children, we've been able to utilize faecal microbiota transplant, on a broader range of diseases than you currently can. And one of the really exciting things was only recently we, we uh, had a new uh, pediatrician join, as I've said, and uh, patients have been coming in and we've been getting some wonderful results. I have to say it's really heartwarming. you know, We, we get reports back from the Bahamas and uh, we, we sit down and we discuss those at management meetings and you've never seen you know, a, a bunch of grown adults burst into tears so readily as when we hear those, those patient outcomes, they're just sensational.
2: Yes, we can absolutely only imagine that, especially in pediatrics.
3: Yeah, uh, as a parent um, it's been a huge frustration for me. We in the UK are not licensed to treat children and that's why the bahamas became so important to us
2: well and what what's the ages that you're treating in the bahamas what are the pediatric ages
3: okay the we're talking children we're not talking neonates okay because children and adults respond to medication and treatment in incredibly different ways And body mass and volumes is critical in knowing how to make dosages. We are not yet treating tiny infants. We are treating children and we're doing it with the the consent of the, uh, the attending physician back in the home country who is proposing their, their patient for this treatment. So um, we're working from ages five upwards. I'm sorry we can't talk about any any smaller than that. There's many cases where some very, very young children desperately need some kind of help. We just haven't put the research in yet, and it's simply not safe. Not yet. These are lives, these are children, and you don't experiment.
2: Exactly. We, we agree with you on that. We receive a, a lot of um, telephone calls on the hotline from parents who um, have their little ones um, suffering with C. difficile infections and it's heartbreaking. So we, we, you know, we, we understand. I
3: see no problem. Yeah,
2: yeah I hear you. It's, take
3: the, it, it's got the potential to take their lives anyway. So given how dangerous it can be to an infant, mm-hmm. even a very small amount. You know, we're talking maybe maybe a teaspoonful amount. Could be the difference between life and death.
2: Yeah, exactly. Glenn, there's been a lot of discussion found on the websites and uh, on the internet about self-treatment at home. As a clinic, what's your position on this?
3: Oh, it, well, it, it's always safety, Nancy. It's safety, safety, safety. Do no harm. um Sadly, people are not really aware of the amount of harm they could put themselves into unless they understood the science a little bit more. One of the single biggest problems with people treating at home is is the absence of sensible testing regimes. Testing is critical. If you are already immunocompromised, if you are already ground right the way down And you introduce a serious pathogen. That could be the end of everything. It's really serious. So people are looking around to try and find a safe donor. The reality is most methods of assessing how safe a donor is are not fully understood and not really appreciated. They think just because a donor walks and breathes and looks reasonably well means that Well, surely they'll make a great donor. But people walk around asymptomatic of a serious disease because it doesn't affect them, but it could easily affect someone else in an extremely serious way. And testing, just saying, I'm going to test somebody um, and then use their material. The big problem there is a lot of diseases have to be at a certain stage of their development before the test actually shows that they're there. So you can get an advanced stage of infestation before the test shows positive. Meanwhile, if you've tested your donor and taken a sample and thinking I'm going to use it, but the, the test that shows the pathogenicity of a disease isn't at that time point yet, you could have a sample that contains a pathogen that could be very, very complicated for you. So the, the work that we did was to try and understand what is the period that you have to quarantine, that you have to put it to one side and not touch it until it is safe. And that was three months. Most, most diseases will express themselves in three months. But the trouble with storing things at three months is, if you don't store them cold enough, these little fellas continue to live when they're cold, but they then reach the end of their life cycle and they die off. So if you keep them under normal chiller, normal household free, uh, freezer temperatures, before you've reached the end of the quarantine period, most of them are gone. You need clinical freezers, not just Minus, I'm going to talk in European here, guys. You're going to have to do the conversion yourself. Minus 18 is your household freezer, the one that you have out in your garage. Minus 40, minus 40, is a normal clinical freezer. We have minus 80, 80, in cent- centigrade. That brings them to an almost stop and preserves them long enough to go through the quarantine period before we bring them out and use them. Home treatments, I hear that people have success rates, but we've also heard of some absolutely horrendous failures. They yes. don't really get publicized. No. Look at yourself, take care of yourself, utilize the best methods of protection possible. If you don't have clinical facilities, then look for a clinic that can help you.
2: Exactly. And Glenn, before we pause to take a break, can you briefly explain the difference between the FMT and the expression we use here in the USA as um, the fecal transplant? What's the difference?
3: Okay, right. Try and do this quick. You told me there's a break coming up. So here we go. Here's here's the the, the really rapid reply. Human stool contains a whole bunch of stuff. It contains what the donor ate the night before. It contains what the donor is throwing out of their liver and they're uh, they're expressing in terms of toxins and rubbish that they want to throw away. It contains their cells. It contains their hormones. And it contains a whole bunch of stuff you don't want to talk about as well as the good little bugs. So we chose to remove food because... What if the donor ate something the night before that the patient is actually having an allergic response to, possibly even anaphylactic? Oh, I had a packet of peanuts at the bar last night, and here's the poop that's going into somebody who is totally allergic to peanuts. Okay, so don't. So we remove the food product. We remove the epithelial, the donor's human cells. We remove the mucus that they're throwing out, all of the the, uh, uh, the toxins that they're trying to get out of their body, uh, and importantly, that, that hormone thing. Because if it's a female patient who's at the limit of her female testosterone receiving implants from male donors who are at the limit, top-end limit of their male testosterone, it causes complications. You don't need... so. Difference between fecal transplant, whole stool, sewage, raw sewage, fecal microbiota transplant, the extracted microflora, and nothing else.
2: Okay. Well, thank you so much for that explanation, Glenn, and we are going to take a brief commercial break here, and when we return, we'll continue discussing uh, the fecal microbiota transplant and digestive problems with Glenn from the Tama Clinic. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back after these messages.
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4 CDF. That's 1 844 367 2343.
2: Welcome back to c Spores and More Global Broadcasting Network, and we thank you so much for joining us today. We would like to reintroduce to you our guest, Glenn Taylor, head microbiologist at the Tamon Clinic, here discussing pioneering fecal microbiota transplant, FMT, for digestive problems. Welcome back, Glenn. Thank you. Yeah, it's great for you to be here. And just to let all of our listeners know that negative 80 degrees Celsius comes out to negative 112 degrees Fahrenheit. And that is not in anybody's home freezer. Correct, Glenn?
3: Absolutely. I'm afraid not.
2: No. But we're so glad you're here with us today. And um, I, one thing that we all wanted to know, and that is about the donors. There's a big worry about donors, possible infection and transferring characteristics like, like the ob- obesity, um, and how are these addressed over at the Taman Clinic?
3: Well, there, there has to be obviously a program of ensuring that your donor is, is not just free of disease, but actually has a good bug characteristic I mean, we try very, very hard to look for people who are really fit, strong, and healthy, but I think um, the reality is there's a Dr. Jeff Leach who does a lot of really good work. He was part of the American Gut Project. He's over in Africa at the moment with some African tribesmen. Jeff Leach wrote in his most recent book that um, this generation of human beings has probably got the worst diversity and density of gut bacteria of any generation in the entire history of our species. And any attempt to try and restore it from our own number is likely to be seen as just a, a, a complete failure. Um, a fool's errand is the word he uses. Now, when I tackled Jeff on this, and Jeff and I discussed matters like this on occasions, and he said, so, so how does the Taman do it? Well, bearing in mind people aren't good, um, at absolutely everything, um, but they're sometimes good at one or two things. We looked for donors, each of whom are really, really good at, you know, part of their environment means that they are exposed to particular bacteria that gives them large numbers of certain groups, but they can all live like that. So we, did, we created something like superheroes. Um, super well in terms for you Americans you'll understand this one so we've got donors who are like like the Hulk we've got one like Captain America and we've got um, another like Iron Man and so and so on and when we put all these donors and consecutive treatments together it's like we've got the entire Avengers I hope Stan Lee will forgive me for that one but it means that we've got the entire team of superheroes with their super talents now Along with that comes the things that can go wrong. The famous one, which I think almost everybody's heard of, is the, the slim mother who contracted Clostridium and chose her daughter to be her donor, which worked beautifully, but there was a side effect. Her daughter was clinically obese, and the characteristic of her microbiome meant that she had a wrong ratio of bacteria. And that wrong ratio was transferred across to her mother and her mother immediately started to struggle with her weight and developed obesity very, very easily. She had to work hard on doing something about it. This is simply because the doctors that treated her didn't take that into consideration. I and mean, we were starting to see that not just formicites and bacteroides is critical ratios, but individual species. Crystancella is going to be a very, very important species to be utilized in metabolic syndrome, obesity. Yeah, I mean, why not at some point start introducing FMT for weight control? Because the people who are struggling have already developed the wrong ratios of bacteria and they just need them reversing. So it's totally feasible to look at it. But at some point, we'll, we'll come up with a program um, that will help people with that particular challenge.
2: Exactly. And that'll be all on the microbiome.
3: Absolutely, doing it all. I say, look, it's taken care of. The past. If you look at the history of the human animal, the, the hominin animal, which's been around on this planet for three and a half million years, if you if you buy into evolution, and how many of us? Oh, about one hundred and seven billion of us have survived magnificently with a gut full of bacteria. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the biology so important. Um, we, we see one of our roles as reintroducing biology back into medicine.
2: Mm-hmm. And Glenn, before we close the show today, do you have any closing statements you'd like to share with our global listeners?
3: Uh, FMT should never be regarded as a single treatment that will be the answer to all ills. That's, that's such a big mistake. It's, illness is a mosaic of so many things. It, it can be um, bacteria as part of it. It can be your environment. It can be your food. Critically, it can be what you feed yourself and your bacteria that will decide to some element of, of how healthy you will remain in being. But there are so many methodologies that are now coming to light that will work together. Not one of them is the answer to everything. So uh, as medicine starts to be a bit more introspective, less reliant upon chemistry, we will find that possibly by major changes in our lifestyle, that includes how we eat and and what we eat and where we live and and how we take care of ourselves, will become the model for wellness in the future.
2: And you couldn't have said it any better if you tried, Glenn. And we are so grateful for you being here today and for the Taymont Clinic in the UK and Caribbean and all you're doing to help the patients with every illness, especially C. difficile infections. And right now we just would like to also thank our... Uh, our sponsor Clorox Healthcare for making this program possible and our sincere get well wishes go out to all the patients being treated for and recovering from a C. difficile infection across the globe. Remember never lose hope. I'm your host Nancy Corrala and until next week none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together and we wish you a good day. Thank you again for being with us Glenn.
3: Uh, Thank you very much for inviting me.
2: Thank you.
1: C. Diff spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthCare.com.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com.